Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Nurses know how to solve shit. Renegades. Welcome to the Renegade podcast, a revolutionary approach to continuing education for nurses who don't just do what they're told. We're shining a light on the innovators, the creatives, the renegades, who are blowing up the boxes that the rest of the world is still trying to think outside of and moving the needle against the gravity of the status quo. Our guest today feels like an old friend you just met, Matthew Zachary. He's going to tell you his story, but we met him, I think, through entrepreneurship LinkedIn. I stalked his profile. Stalked him on LinkedIn. I still stalk him. And... (laughs) And through whatever part of his story he'd like to reveal, he uh, now has Offscript, which is a kind of like a a specific podcasting network, would you say? Well, you tell us in a little bit. You had Stupid <laughs> Cancer, which was your first podcast, right? And now it's... Um, out of Patience. Out of Patience. Yep. And a slew of other ones. And uh, I know a little bit about what you do. I could have known more, but when I had dinner with you once in LA, we talked about so many other fun things yeah. <laughs> than what we do for a living. Um, but tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, where you're from, why you're here. And uh, eventually we'll get into uh, something that's useful for nurses to know. Karen, that is a, uh, a super fancy mic. You're making Entra look unprofessional. Oh, shit. I'm just oh, yeah. getting used to speaking <laughs> in the mic. Yeah, she looks unprofessional <laughs> as I'm like flinging things all over and texting my kids to bring me a spin drift. <laughs> How are you, Matthew? I am fantastic. How are you? My, uh, my trip to LA turned into an absolute bank vault of business with, my, with the book. Well, uh, Actually, that's a great segue. What's your book about? That kind I of know. Your, I just was going to say, who are you? <laughs> tell, well, tell us, I, tell us I'm, the I'm basics. I'm not allowed to tell you about my book. Oh, shoot. Uh, are you kidding? My book is embargoed. I can tell you over drinks in private, but I can't talk about Darn it. the like... book that is being written until it's six months before publication a year from now. The gist of the book is that it's not a memoir. It's not my story. It's it's a story, but it's largely for the American voter to understand the crayon version of healthcare and that it's not broken. It's working by design. And what can voting yeah. Americans do to, uh, to fuck back a little bit? I'm getting like an MBA enema of the publishing industry as we speak. Everybody needs a good enema. Because <laughs> then we can like you know, chat about it and read it. And then once it goes live, we can talk about it on social media. And yeah, once it gets sold this fall, um, starting next year, I'm going to start planting breadcrumbs. Mm. You're already in the club of the breadcrumb club. Like, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) That was a serious breadcrumb. Thanks a fucking lot, Matthew. I'm writing a book, but I can't tell you. I'm allowed to say that it's not another fucking cancer book. That's it. Oh, <laughs> wow. We, right. we don't need any more of those, do we? There are a lot of, I mean, with all due love to the people that write them, 
uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of anthemic self-serving books. Mm-hmm. Um, I Beat Cancer and So Can You kind of books. Um, How I Cured Myself, cancer books. Um, I hate those ones, especially. <laughs> I've read them all. <laughs> I mean, people that- They suck. If, if anyone ever had the, the the opportunity to visit my office at Stupid Cancer, I have four shelves. They were like maybe f- 10 feet long from left to right. Four shelves, like 40 feet of books that I've been receiving and had received since like 2004. I never got rid of them because they're really important. These are human beings whose stories are telling. Yeah, of course. Um, But it's just another example of this. So many books about cancer stories. Um, There are a couple of books about um, like uh, loopholes and life hacks and things like that. But, you know, I figure I'm somehow still here 27 years later and what I'm most pissed off about now um, is that most Americans at any educational level are not um, advocated on behalf of based on a federal health policy. That's a really good summary. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that kind of just gets to the, that is like a sauce that's been reduced over a hundred years. Yeah. I mean, I look at what it was, um, refreshing to meet other people that are kind of rebelling against their industry um i've been working in this industry for well i was i was kind of forced into it when i was given six months silly with brain cancer 27 years ago but i didn't know what i what advocacy was was the 90s and it took me like 10 years to figure that out by meeting people that who were like hey where you been (laughs) i've been alone for 10 years and I, i kind of learned that advocacy for me was to make shit suck less for the next me. And I was like, all right, I can own that. That's pretty quick. Not policy, not lobbying, not beltway stuff. And I'm, I'm always been precocious. I'm kind of born with Huspa, maybe too much at this point now. I don't, I don't just accept things. Is Huspa wanna... a Yiddish word? Huspa is Yiddish. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. What is it? Pakistani? What do you think it is? No. Well, because I, I, I think I, I've always heard chutzpah or Japanese. I never heard chutzpah. Chutzpah is what white Once you put the chutzpah with it, say. then it's obvious. Chutzpah is what Sarah Palin says when she says chutzpah. <laughs> I don't even okay. think I would have known what that was. Chutzpah is where owls go to feel better. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't help it. I'm a Goya. Okay. That's okay. I saw, I saw Christian, you Jewish. How's that? <laughs> well, I'm Sicilian, so I am Jewish. You are Jewish. Same yeah. culture, guilt and food, death yeah. and whatever. That's and, it. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just keep on with the podcast? We're going to no, pee my pants. No, is... <laughs> All right. Go back to what you were saying. Whatever that was. But it was... Chutzpah. You were always had chutzpah. I was born with congenital chutzpah. You got to do the like this phlegm. Yeah, I did. I did a good. It's okay. I'll, yeah. I'll train you. I will train you. All right. So Focus I, people, I come like, on. No, no. I was just always, always not happy with the status quo and figured out what role can I play to change things up. And when I got involved in, you know, cancer in 2004, everything was like pink ribbons and wristbands and, you know, just like. Hallmark card palooza. Um, And it it bothered me that no one was talking to me and I was just, or talking to anyone as them 
uh, I had just spent 10 years in regular, normal advertising. So I understood how to talk to customers and consumers and what great ads look like and great design looks like and what, 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 why people buy more Doritos more, so to speak, Yeah, you know, and then I realized that healthcare is, um, it's kind of a, a supply only market. It's not, people want Doritos. That's why they market to people to buy Doritos. Like no one wants to, can't wait to get cancer and hear Matt's podcast and no one ever, like that's my perspective. Yeah. But I mentioned it's nice to meet other people that are just rebelling against their profession because that's what I did. I created like the anti ribbon, anti feel good, um, permission to be pissed, Gen X rebellious brand called Stupid Cancer, which had a radio show at the time. But I haven't seen a lot of other sort of rebellious professional societies. There was another one called Aon, the Academy of College Nurse Navigators. The Academy of Oncology Nurse Navigators. Okay, okay. It's like a spinoff of RN. Um, They're not reimbursed. They work their asses off. They're kind of like concierge benefits of big, rich cancer centers. Um, And I feel bad for them because they've never had a billing code. Uh, But they're rebelling with respect to that. We actually help you save money because we help patients do what they want. But that's kind of it, you know, and and, um, it was refreshing to be hit up by you guys and to get to know you a little bit. Um, so my, my story in a bun is I was raised in New York. I played piano for 10 years. I was going to go to grad school to be the next John Williams. Give wait, six months. wait, what? I, I'm sorry. To, I'm going to interrupt you a couple of times because you're glossing over. If anybody wants a little, uh, spend an evening feeling insecure, just, you know, Google Matt Zachary. I mean, you're, oh, I, I, I did. Well, I mean, your talks, your, uh, I mean, you, you've lived like, I mean, five and counting lives already, you know? You know, I, I like to say that it's a privilege to not live an ordinary life. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't oh, really true. make a lot of in, in, intentional attempts to live in a disordinary life, but it just keeps befalling me to do that. <laughs> like the, goals, like a, like a smarter, goals. Well, it's definitely <laughs> been extraordinary. A smarter Forrest yeah. Gump, perhaps, of oncology, I don't know. Just find myself in the weirdest places. Well, but, it seems yeah. like you kept getting pushed out of the nest. Like you were a concert pianist, like, and, and say that last, I mean, like you, like, and, and not just like one among many. No, uh, I was a film composer, a, a concert pianist. I was um, doing, you know, performances and writing for film in college. And I got into USC. I, actually, I didn't get in. I was, I was accepted into USC film school with a deposit, which you just it took a year to go through the process. But that was my destiny. I, 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 it's rare to know what you're going to do when you're 21. And I knew exactly what I was going to do when I was 21. That was it. And then, you know, my, uh, my symptoms were my left hand uh, just stopped working. Lost all motor coordination in my left hand uh, over like a month. And I'm like, all right, that's weird. I'll just play piano with my other hand. <laughs> like, how, and you were 21? Is that I how 21. old? I was a kid. Yeah. I was a pop, 21. Um, and then the comedy of terrors and errors went by misdiagnosed, not taken seriously. It's only your head, which it was. And I had brain cancer. And they're like, I've never seen this before in a kid your age. Like, great. Thanks. Tell me more. So surgery, radiation, six months to live. Let's see what happens when you're here. Um, again, that's a litany of, of, uh, of insanity that I'm kind of paraphrasing because it's all written down on the internet somewhere. Um, but yeah, I declined chemotherapy, which at the time was like a Shonda, you know, who says no to chemo? I didn't want it because 
it would have given me permanent neuropathy because as nurses, you know, Vin Kristen is a bitch. And that causes permanent nerve damage in your fingers and toes. And I'd rather die playing piano uh, than die at some point later not. Um, so radical go fuckery <laughs> to, yeah. to these doctors say no. But I, I still, it is still that way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I turn I turned chemotherapy down and they weren't very happy. They weren't happy. No, because mm-hmm. like I, I didn't turn it down to cure myself. I was like, this is more important to me. You know, I don't recommend turning it down unless you really need to turn it down. It's kind of an important thing these days. So I, I just found myself adrift in my 20s. I really had no 20s. Um, and then uh, I just stumbled upon the agency world and I worked there with my head down just getting things done um started dating finally met my wife in 2000 and then finally like all these people showed up like i had cancer too in my 20s but i work for these like where the hell were you but it's nice to know you and they welcomed me into the club and that started me down this rabbit hole of cancer advocacy policy work um advising pharma companies and digital health when i got started i worked at google health for a while and uh, it's just a privilege to be able to do something that I wished existed when I was there. And I think that's every advocate's purpose is to help make the thing exist that you wished was there when you needed it. Um, so that was stupid cancer. It became my baby. It's still my, my baby. Mm-hmm. I, I left four years ago, but it's doing really well. I'm really happy about it. Just a plug for stupidcancer.org, the number one adolescent young adult cancer research support community organization in the world, stupidcancer.org. Very proud of that. But that just opened up all these crazy doors because all of that happened during an irreplicable time, which was before the internet. So, Mm. I mean, like pre-Facebook, pre-Google, YouTube just launched. There was no LinkedIn. Everything was MySpace and Friendster and streaming audio before MP3s were podcasts. So very weird time in sort of human society to do something for the Gen X crowd because millennials were like 20. 22 years old back then and it worked because it was angry it was disruptive it was it was permissible um and we got to take risks um that no other nonprofit dared to do god forbid susan g coleman take a risk right no one would do that um and we attracted you know hundreds of thousands of people to back when facebook wasn't a shit show and it worked really well that was the thing for us we had stunts like road trips and bar nights and trade shows in Vegas and all the things you can't do anymore because, you know, they're whatever society's evolving, whatever. I bet people were hungry for that information too. I, I mean, bet never before were a thousand young adult cancer survivors, patients, caregivers, and advocates in Vegas for four days, getting to know each other. It was life-changing, total yeah. life-changing. And, yeah. but all of that just fueled, my desire for more. What else could I do? What else could be done? Who else do I know? And again, I was very privileged to create an extraordinary Rolodex. Relationships really matter. My dad taught me well. Relationships are all that really matters to your quality of life. You want to know who's there in your arsenal, who's got your back, whose back do you have? And I know we just, you know, met like a year ago, whenever it was, and, you know, we're like best friends. So this is how I try to treat relationships because we're all about you know, without the cat poster part, we face the same direction. We try to do different things. We have to support each other because if yeah. we don't do it, it won't get done. So. And I think it's really hard in, in, in the world of cancer specifically for people to feel like that 
because even and even now with the internet and everything that we have um, access to, it's still so lonely. And I think that it's um, so poignant to say that's what matters, right? Because that's how you feel supported. And that's how you actually move forward with something like that instead right. of and paralyzed in fear. Yeah, two reactions to that. One is, of course, yes, it's surprisingly, strangely still alone and there's now too much information. And I was alone with no information. So how far are we come and yet how far we need to go? Yeah, good point. Uh, and and I just posted on LinkedIn. I said this recording, I just posted on LinkedIn today, that picture of me in whiteout in seventh grade. I went as a tube of whiteout when I was in seventh grade for Halloween. And I just decided to put that Of course on you did. I, yeah, because I was OCD and I, I didn't like, you know, making mistakes. So I like all my papers were full of whiteout. The teachers could not understand who was this kid with his whiteout in seventh grade. I think people listening might not, young nurses listening might not even know what that is. <laughs> I know, I know. Google it, kids. <laughs> My next podcast called Google it, kids. Yeah, I, I think I'd like to go back to the chutzpah for one minute because I, when you were talking about, I mean, go back and then I'll carry it forward. When you were 21, and I'm sure you had doctors and experts and parents and friends and everybody going, especially because it sounds like you had a, well, if your father was teaching you that about family and relationships, mm -hmm. I'm sure they didn't want theirs with you to go away. So I'm sure you had a lot of outward pressure going, oh, just do the chemo. Oh, do, you know, we want you around. And I, I just, I can't imagine that, that um, you're probably 1%. 5% of 21 year olds who would be able to go. No. I mean, I think at, in your forties, you know, when you, when you start finding the courage to be disliked and, and uh, it's like, what's the, you'll appreciate this quote. Oh, I shouldn't do it. unless I know who it's from, but it's um, just make it up. and pretend. If you want to lead the orchestra, you have to turn your back on the crowd. Ooh. <laughs> Someone ring a bell somewhere. That was good. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, Karen, Karen well, when Antra asked you the next question, I'll pretend I'm paying attention and, and look it up real quick because I have it written down. <laughs> um, but what was it about? I think I'm asking that because people like you are needed to wake people up and second guess the freight train that runs people over all the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We had a podcast with um, a woman who... What's, don't, please don't bring me flowers. I don't know if you've heard. What's her? Leanne. Leanne what, Saffer. Leanne Saffer. Mm -hmm. She had young spin instructor, model, gorgeous, got cancer, double mastectomy, all kinds of chemo, whatever. And when she started feeling like shizzle and shit, worse and worse and worse, she started questioning like, wait a minute. She started doing research. Now, this is 18 months, I think, into her treatment. She's like, well, in that country, I, they're only giving the person five rounds. I'm on my 12th. What, what's going on? Right. You know, but she didn't wake up because she was so influenced by the crowd. And she wrote a book about how she wishes she wasn't, you weren't. Um, there's just something really important there for healthcare in general. For It's like we are, it's like a, ah, I don't know what the word is. It's like totalitarian, like you will do what I say. And they don't let people define their own fine. Yeah, there's a lot. I hate to paint with broad brushes. There are lots of doctors that have empathy. There's always a percentage yeah, of course, that don't. Absolutely. And 
they have to follow protocols way more than they used to because now that that magic seven minutes is a thing. Like back yeah. then, my my neurosurgeon spent like a whole Shabbos with me. Orthodox Jew took off Friday to spend with my parents and I for like three hours in his office. Like that's that's mensch, right? That's yeah. real mensch. And I, I was lucky with stuff. that. You know, but getting a hard lesson in Yiddish at this point. I know. You know, my my oncologists and the radiation oncologists at Sloan Kettering were automatons and they were um, just following orders and rules and guidelines and whatnot. Um, I was rare. You're right. I was one of I think I was the only medulloblastoma patient diagnosed that year that wasn't eight. The oldest. And I think today someone had probably the oldest living young adult medulloblastoma survivor in the country, maybe the world. Because uh, there's just no data on this. Um, and it was the mortality of that was like like 80% back then. So I don't know how I'm alive. But I, I had I had help. I, I The expression like happens to have, George Garland as a whole happens to have, uh, happens to be. Um, I got lucky because, yes, we were desperate and scared. And we're listening to the doctors, but trying to make, you know, a, a, a sort of a you know, personal decisions based on what was important, but we didn't even know what was important. Save My Life Incorporated was the company, you know, in a sense. I got lucky because my dad's best friend, my uncle Jay, my godfather, was a, um, still is, one of the world's foremost genomicists. Uh, he's been around doing this stuff since the 80s. He was part of the Human Genome Project. and Ooh. But he stepped in, you know, and said, what are you doing to my, my godson? And he demanded... That Sloan and will you send him the send, send him the records and what's in the chemotherapy cocktail, and he was the one that said, Matt, you don't want the chemotherapy. It may it may extend it may extend your life, but mm. it it will destroy your piano career if you were, were to get it back because I could play with my left hand. So just imagine being like a forty eight year old man telling his twenty one year old son, his godson, you know, you'd rather die in five years and rehabbing yourself to to have what you, you you care about the most then live 75 years and never play again you know that, but those that are the what... conversations that we're not having right i mean and it's not i mean karen and <clears throat> i obviously as nurses we want to do right by our patients and most of the doctors we know want to do right by their patients it's the system and they don't we're not having those conversations and we're not giving people really informed consent what does that mean even for me, right? Like I'm a nurse, I'm an operating room nurse. And when I got diagnosed with cancer, it was surgery first. And the only thing I could think of was, of course, take it all out. Yeah. And I did go down the road and think, okay, what are some long-term consequences? Because I was already advocating for other patients. And, but still, even now, looking back, what I didn't know, I didn't know. And they don't tell you. Right, because you didn't happen to have Uncle Jay, rhetorically speaking. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. Which goes back to I happen to have him. Some people, my, my friend Joe um, is a biomedical researcher. His mom had multiple myeloma, and he went with her to the hematologist and knew that there was a genetic test for her, for her disease and even showed the doctor, like, here's the test, here's the trial, and he didn't believe her. I'm sorry, the doctor didn't believe my friend Joe, didn't believe his patient's son, that this is true. Right. So they fired him and they went to a new hematologist who was more receptive to the idea that here's facts and data and research, an RB approved published study mm -hmm. that the trial works. 
got her mom on the trial and she's fine. God knows what would have happened if she wanted to stand as a care. So she happened to have her son who happened mm-hmm. to be this guy. Not everyone happens to have somebody, especially even if you're a nurse or an ecologist, you just may not happen to have. And that's not acceptable that the only way to live better is to happen to have somebody. Yeah. We, we say it all the time. Every patient deserves an advocate by their side. <laughs> Well, that's as a, I mean, as a right of healthcare. That's why we yeah. started our our patient advocacy businesses. It was the same thing. I was so tired of hearing that voice in my head when I'd hear another friend or something and tell me about a horror story or something. And I'm right. like, oh, if I was there, that wouldn't have happened. You know, mm-hmm. um, and everybody, even my dad, like, I wonder, my dad's, you know, he had um, open heart surgery almost a year ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, November last year. And there were so many things that, if I didn't know what I knew. Right. Quite frankly, he probably would have died. Let's just be honest. Well, no, I, 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 I don't. Anyway, um, he got better <laughs> yeah. care because there was someone asking the right questions. Right. Yeah. And this go back to the, so again, going back to this whole idea of like healthcare, cancer, rare disease, life-threatening stuff is a, um, there's a demand for it. So on top of the fact that the end user is not the profit center. The patient makes the system no money. The doctor makes the system money. The prescriber makes the system money. <clears throat> so when the end user, it's like if Doritos, uh, if Doritos had to be purchased by someone else to let you get them, if someone paid you to get the Doritos, right? I'm like, I want Doritos. You can't get them because you can only get Doritos from this person who prescribes Doritos. Well, how much are they? Uh, well, it depends on whether you can afford Doritos or not, right? But that's how healthcare works. You are denied the capacity for being a, a true consumer because you're the one that uh, you're the one at the receiving end of how much it costs and whether you can have it or not. Someone else decides for you what's best for you, right? But if the if the model of the business model was health enhancement feeling better and better, even prevention, but not as much as optimizing how we feel as human beings and how we live. I mean, that would be Doritos. <laughs> yeah. Although Doritos, not the healthiest thing, just for your well, you know, listeners. They are I delicious. It's, it's all I really mind. like them. Guilty <laughs> pleasures. Guilty yeah. pleasures. Well, yeah. Soul food. But even as, but even as, you know, with no, with no change, in empowering patients to recognize that they are the consumer, like they are the one that gets to decide if they want Cool Ranch or they want nacho cheese and that the patients can go. And, you know, I, it's it's constrained for sure, but they still have choices. They just don't know that they do. Right. And, and it's kind of like the, you know, what they don't want you to know without sounding all like conspiratorial. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff patients just information withheld from them that you would never think to look for because you're not like intentionally going to buy a house. There's no consumer yeah. reports. There's no like road yeah. and track. You're buying a car. I'm going to pick what car is best for me. But those things exist. Like you said, there are there are board certified patient advocates and navigators and care coordinators and even free people you can just hire that are paid to help you yeah. get through your shit. But that's not made aware and yet, and yet, I, I, I would you agree with the fact that industry would like that to be the case, but they just can't make it the case. Everyone benefits when every every patient's on the right medicine at the right time, you know, in the right capacity. Everyone. Oh, 
It's just a big fat hairy mess. It's it is, but like, like the idea that everyone wished the system worked for patients means the system works. Everyone gets paid. People get what they need. It saves money. There's economic benefit. People get to return to work. And yet it's like disallowed because the industry will not reveal to consumers, here's how you get it done. Yeah. So, so how do you get it done in this system as a patient or a consumer? Well, like- how are, yeah. So you, so we'll go back. I took us back to the chutzpah and now um, <laughs> chutzpah. I'm just bringing us back to chutzpah. where we, we, we stuck the pin. <laughs> so, but fill in the, the little, the, okay. The shortstop. Was, she likes um, pins. What? You like pins. <laughs> well, bases, pins, you know, mixture more metaphors. So you're 21. I-, I missed the part where were you did you like wonder every year or every six months, like, oh my gosh, I'm still here. Oh my gosh, I guess I'm still here. Yeah, I guess I'll start dating. I'm I guess I'm still here. <laughs> like, like, did you keep doing that? Well, uh, like, like 80% of my story is irrelevant to today's narrative because everything's just so different than it was in the 90s. Back in those days, and it, maybe this is less applicable today because people live with cancer, but that magic five-year mark. Yeah. You're going to die something else after five years. Like, like, okay, let's start the clock. And for those five years, I lived in terror. Oh. Absolute terror. You did. You know? You know, MRIs every six months and the slightest headache, the tumors back, it metastasized to my leg, like whatever it is, like you're just living on like a red alert. It's like the bridge that crosses a chasm, but it's on fire and you're (laughs) going to drop to the river below with crocodiles. That's what life was like for me and for many people, but for me in the entire 1990s, um, and then that magic five-year number came up. It's like, oh, no, you still need scans every year. I think where I think where I started to realize I just need to, you know, start to live was when I started getting angry at FedEx again, when they just missed my deliveries. And, and the little things that just started pissing me off again, you know, forget the flowers. Fuck the smelling of the flowers. Like, I'm, I'm fucking pissed. I just stepped on a crack and whatever. Once <laughs> regular life started to bother me again, I was good enough to go and the scanxiety stuff kind of started to wane. And, you know, at this point now at 48, 27 years later, I have no Fox left to give, you know, I'm going to die one day anyway. I think, <laughs> and it's weird to say this, but I've made my mark. I love my kids. I want to be there for everybody and do what I can in the time I have left. But my oncologist said to me like five years ago, now you're definitely dying of something else. So just take care of yourself. <laughs> and I'm done with scans. <laughs> And headaches, nothing bothers me anymore. Nothing bothers me anymore. So, yeah. you know. Now the, the general. Uh, <clears throat> just um, a FedEx Sexually guy. transmitted terminal <laughs> condition called life. <laughs> I mean, I just rather not die in a dumb way like a bus or a piano falling on me. It's got to be something really grander with lots of grandeur. If a piano fell on you, that would be ripe. <laughs> really like. <laughs> that would be the, if, the, if there was a definition of irony. It would, it that would. would be it. <laughs> The Bugs Bunny piano crest. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so that happened to you and it, how did it change you? And then how did it, how did it make everything seem 
different after the whole experience, like from one day to the next in a positive way? Like, what did you gain? Because obviously you gained something for yourself and then, but you didn't keep it for yourself. Now you're giving it to other people, giving it away your hood spot. And then plus all the fairy dust, of, you know, the cancer fairy dust <laughs> sprinkled on your hood spot. Um, now you're bringing it to the world in, in many different ways. So what do you, what's the main thing that you gained and now how are you using that to inoculate other things in the world? I mean, I don't talk a lot about the 1990s. It was very dark. Yeah. Um, I, I said on record that I lost my life, but I didn't die. Um, everything was stripped away from me. And this is kind of why I like stupid cancer meant a lot to me because when you're not 80 or 80, it's very different. And it was very little attention paid to Gen Xers and millennials that got sick. We were treated like, old people and there was nothing relevant to your age um <clears throat> and it wasn't until i met people who spoke that language and gave me permission to feel the way that i felt having you know no hair no virility no fertility no career all my friends went off to get their master's degrees and i'm stuck them along the bed no stamina no muscle mass um no will to do much of anything like just absolute terrifying isolation for years. And yeah, like I had some friends that stuck around. Obviously my family was very blessed to have my mom and my dad are my heroes. They, they solved every fucking problem for me. And I had tremendous guilt for putting them through this. And that was a whole other phase that I, I learned was normal eight years later. Oh, that was okay to do that. And what changed me is, I didn't know I, I didn't have to feel so perilous. And the chutzpah only came in handy here and there. It was mm -hmm. kind of like, um, like a, an Excedrin you take just to pep you up every now and then. <laughs> it's like a chutzpah upper. Well, you had a surrogates <laughs> and your parents and yes. godfather. <clears throat> yeah. You just make up a chutzpah You make that up? Yeah. I'll allow oh. it. I'll allow it. <laughs> on this, on this, it's almost Rosh Hashanah. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a but lot of going on. Here's the thing. Like, I didn't know what I needed until I found out what I didn't know I needed. And yeah. it's nice to say I want to hear, I want to help everyone know what they need when they need it, which is impossible. Yeah. But the pedestal I got on was more of a consumer advocate than a patient advocate. I think patient advocate, I mean, it's just become a bastardized term. It means nothing anymore. Like, yeah. you're just, being a good Samaritan to help other people. Mm -hmm. But a consumer advocate is there to protect people from fuckery and at a larger level, and which is why policy intrigued me. I don't mean like lobbying for different things, but <clears throat> if you can get Medicare to cover a benefit for one person, you're covering it for 100,000 people. That's what matters. If, if we could get the National Comprehensive Cancer Network to write guidelines for young adults that included mandatory fertility disclosures, you're helping 240,000 people, right? It was the larger picture, the broad brush. What can be done as a federal protection? That, that's what I've been focused on. You know, I left the charity four years ago. It's given me a lot of freedom to really think about what the bigger scale is. So that's where I find myself today the validation is that 
you know, ACA was a really big deal, really big deal, not perfect, but a really big deal, especially for young adults. And I didn't, I didn't directly work on it, but we were part of this consortium of like hundred nonprofits that supported it getting done when Obama was, uh, you know, still in control of a bunch of stuff. Um, one story I will tell you, this, this is a good story because I believe that if you do it right, no one should know. Mm-hmm. That's advocacy. If you do it right, no one knows. And when Debbie Wasserman Schultz got breast cancer, um, she had a, obviously a change of heart and things like that. And she, she wanted to do something as part of ACA that helped young women with breast cancer, mainly women in their fertile years with breast cancer. <clears throat> so she put together as part of this amazing consortium, something called the Early Act. It's some acronym, E-A-R-L-I, Early Act. And it um, basically had like three provisions. One was breast cancer three, breast cancer screenings go down to 40. Diagnostics companies must adapt their equipment for denser breast tissue. And any woman with breast cancer under 40 gets free reconstruction for life covered by Medicaid. Those are really big things. Now we're talking about maybe, I mean, I hate to say maybe only 20,000 women a year, but that's still terrible. 20,000 out of one point, what, 8 million diagnoses. We're talking 20,000 women, but that's incredible. It's 20,000. It's still Mm -hmm. 20,000, but here's what gets interesting. So that was passed and it works and it's fantastic. And even though many doctors aren't even aware of it and a breast cancer patient doesn't even know that they have the right to these things, every now and then it works. And one of my friends, uh, I had lunch with her last summer. Actually, what is it? This summer, I'm sorry. <laughs> what day is it? <laughs> well, it was, yeah, well, it's and, almost October. Yeah, and she, she disclosed to me that she had breast cancer and I, how's she doing? And she said, well, I went from Amagra on my 40th birthday. Because she knew that was the screening age that got lowered to. And so she was diagnosed at stage two, to A to B. Um, if she had waited to 50, she'd be dead. So that to me, you help one person, you help a quarter million people. That's the most important thing to me right now is to represent Americans initially and protect them from fuckery through federal action or state action or just small ballot initiatives that really matter. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what I stand for these days because it's it's bigger than young adult cancer. It's bigger than uh, than than breast cancer, and it's bigger than everything. It also applies to rare disease, which is really important. By the way, young adult cancer, a rare disease. <laughs> Who knew that? <laughs> so, this is what is um, my new hill to die on: is this consumer protections advocacy on behalf of large swaths of people. And less about the backyard of people that already know you exist. I wonder if um, I, I love that you're, you know, taking this as a, a you know, to for the bigger picture for lots of people instead of just the one. But when you talk about consumerism, I just think it's super interesting, like for nurses or for patient advocates to maybe start to talk about that talk about advocacy or patient advocacy in those terms. Even today, I was on the phone with a client of mine and she was having a hard time getting an MRI that had been done weeks before. Doctor hadn't seen it. And 
you know, I really, she's a good advocate for herself actually, but I encouraged her, like you can demand the standard of care. You can, you can actually get on a phone with somebody and tell them that this is unacceptable. But I think if we frame it from the consumer point of view, it empowers them even more because they get that. They don't think they have a right to call up and say, Hey, how come I've waited three weeks for an MRI result on my brain from a brain tumor, right? Right. Yeah. So, if your credit card fucks up, you call your credit card company. Right. That it's it's that symbol of an. And animal, you have an no allegory. problem doing it. No. And you have no problem demanding <clears throat> that they fix whatever error was there or whatever. So, like, I wonder if that's a. I love this conversation because it's making me think about like on the you know one to one or you know at nurses in general and surgery or any kind of nurse. They're calling the doctor's office or the administration, whoever's in charge of getting those MRI results Mm -hmm. to you, asking them, would you have to wait three weeks? And how come you wouldn't have to wait three weeks and I do? Like, you know, just leave that out there. Like, what's well, it's like, this is where being a Karen comes in handy, right? You really want to be able to be that angry, annoying person calling customer service. You know, you buy furniture, it shows up broken. Damn straight, you're calling Amazon or whomever, and why couldn't it have been Rebecca? Or you're you're you are giving. Sorry, that's right. Karen's the wrong word for you. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the I'm, Karen, <clears throat> not a I'm, Karen. I'm, yeah, you are the Karen. I'm not leaning to the stupid meme, but the concept is: <laughs> if you are ultimately at the end of a service, whether you're paying for it or not, and something comes broken, damn well you're going to make sure that gets remedied. So. Yes. It, not again, like people don't like to question and unlike buying furniture, you intended to buy that furniture. It should come the way you want it. You're not in the situation where you're experienced in doctors telling you you have cancer. That's hopefully one time in your life for unlucky people. Right. It's not like, oh, there's my 40 time getting diagnosed. I know exactly what to do. I'm a seasoned cancer diagnosed <laughs> person. Right. That, that's not a thing. So, yeah, I really believe that bringing the word consumer yeah. Yeah. back as a narrative gives people an understanding that be the most annoying piece of shit you want to be to get what you want. If you're that, not happy, yeah. change it. That's what I told her. And she was like, okay, click. And she hung up the phone and she got her MRI results. But yeah, some people be- just need permission. It was that conversation. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is we, we, that's the whole thing. We don't need permission, but we just think we do in the, in the healthcare system. And right. so we don't push the issue. It's, it's, um, drives me insane. And I like the reframe. I think a lot more could be done just on the more on the, you know, on the smaller, like one-to-one level. Yeah, I think you, that conversation. You, you brought up an interesting thing I've never thought about. Do you think that you have no problem complaining about furniture that arrives broken because you pay that person directly and you feel you're entitled? I gave you my money. And therefore, there's like a disconnect, you know, between when you're either getting government to pay for some. Well, actually, it's your tax dollars, right? It's coming back right. to you in that form or insurance and you're paying a thing. Maybe it's that disconnect that people don't feel like they have an I don't know. There's something, there's something there. I'm like, why wouldn't you feel like that? It's not just because people revere healthcare workers or they think it's, it, there's like some kind of, cause you're like, you're right. Zach, I, Matt, like it's, you wouldn't even hesitate if you paid direct dollars for something to demand. Right. And it's just a different way to think about it because you're not considered the end user. You're not 
paying mm-hmm. for the service and yet you're paying for the service. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's indirect pay. You pay for insurance or maybe it's covered yeah. by your employer and bad things happen and you're scared, but not everyone's going to leap into consumer advocate mode. Right. Do you think your work with consumers, do you think consumer advocacy and what you're doing, which inform which? Like the stuff that, like the <clears throat> moonshot and the ballot initiatives and that kind of stuff that you have influenced, does that influence your work like off script? Did that give rise to off script and stupid cancer and then what you're doing with off script and stuff? Or did it, well, was I, it the other way around? I mean, my earliest mentor was a woman, Ellen Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, Ellen Stovall. Oh, before I forget, it's Max Lusado said the quote. Okay. So if anyone wants to Google Ellen Stovall, the late Ellen Stovall, um, she was one of the most, um, and she was profiled in my documentary, The Cancer Mavericks, wherever you get your podcasts, The Cancer Mavericks. (laughs) And she was the first president of the single largest and oldest survivor-led policy group in D.C. called the National Coalition for cancer survivorship. She started in 1986. Um, it just makes me really sad because she was amazing. She was my first mentor. And she taught me so much about policy and influence and Hill Day. And one story can get one intern to, to get one senator to do one thing. And I wasn't really ready to embrace the bigger picture because I was still like green in the nonprofit space. And I was really focused on helping <clears throat> start the young adult cancer movement and build this incredible community of hundreds of nonprofits and advocates. Um, but once I left, Ellen passed away recently. It was very sad. But I carry with her that flame that if healthcare isn't broken and it's working by design, the only way to fuck back with it is to enact federal protections and consumer protections. And that takes the form of ACA, the No Surprises Act, the Infrastructure Act. These things that are brought about by largely democratic administrations are there to protect the innocent when they don't know they need protection. Now that a hospital can't fuck with you with billing, we have to let as many people know that you don't have to pay your bill. (laughs) Like you just don't have to. And that there are ways to appeal now that are so much easier than they used to be. But that's complicated for most people that didn't go to college. How do you, how are, how are you um, telling people that that's, you know, just one aspect of fuckery, basically? You don't have to pay your bill if you can't. How, how are you getting that message across? I think that speaks to what my next three to five years of career are going to be. And that the the limitations of single advocates and nonprofits are limited to their backyards. Mm -hmm. And that there really is no national platform that can reach millions of Americans at a clip with these tools and life hacks. And it just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to think that if you can combine entertainment with sort of dark comedy and real people talking to real people um you'll start to build some traction outside everyone's backyards yeah. so i think the country is finally ready no one is unaware they are of, of medical bankruptcies you know no one's unaware that disease is still going to happen 
You, you can, there's no money in the cure. We fun thing Chris Rock says all the time, but <clears throat> it's not about it's I, I'd like to say it's no longer about fixing a broken system. It's the American voters turn to break it in favor of what we deserve as taxpayers. Oh, I want to break it right in half. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to change CMS. We're not going to change NIH. We're not going to change FDA unless we vote. But what are we voting on and where? And down ballots matter as much as anything else based on state-based regulations and mm-hmm. reimbursements. Um, employer-based care, self-insured companies. There are, there are ways that exist that have been proven over 50 years to work. They just haven't been organized and mobilized in this country. There's only been four great consumer health revolutions, four in the last 50 years. The first was when they forced Richard Nixon and shamed him into passing the Cancer Control Act of 1971. The second was in in the early 80s with the Orphan Drug Act, the ADA, and the start of the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And the 90s were AIDS, breast Mm -hmm. cancer, and creating the first billing codes for rehabilitation from disease. And the start of what I called um, quality of life medications like Emend and Zofran and things that didn't cure you but made your life less shitty when you're on treatments. And then the young adult cancer revolution, which just lasted for 10 years and got a whole lot of shit done with hundreds of thousands of people in the country that I was proud to lead. We're due for a fifth. We're due for a fifth. It's been 10 years since the last one. And they kind of happen every 10 years. And this is where I think the country is right now. It's the one ironically unifying nonpartisan issue. Should anyone die and go broke from healthcare? Yeah. No. If you say yes, you should be killed. You know, if you say no, you belong in the club, right? That that is where I believe there's such a common ground to build a national conversation that doesn't exist right now. That industry does not want you to happen, which you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're we're the white blood cells. I mean, it's like a it's a disease. There's a disease in there. It's you know corruption and red tape and layers and layers of bullshit. And uh, you know, you get a couple macrophages in there, and they like the Pac Men. But you know, so go ahead, macrophages. You oh well, my god! Wow, <laughs> wow! I just lost some memory remembering that. So. I'm sorry. What uh, show is this? <laughs> I just remember they're like Pac Men. Yeah, uh, I so if if nurse I've known a few more than a few nurses who wanted to get involved in policy and change um, at that level, but were kind of too afraid to like where do I start? How do I do that? And it seems to me that nurses, in um, broadly speaking, would be really good at being part of this movement that you're talking about. But what would you tell them to do if that was where they're their interest was how would how would you get involved in something big like that i don't have that answer right now full candid i just I, this is the start of something really interesting yeah that's beginning this year okay i'm i'm starting to coordinate and organize very slowly but there's there's gonna be some, it, it's shh 
kind of an arc for that too. Can you can you give and us an arc? Scene. <laughs> can you give us a Free release, please. No <laughs> cameras, no cameras, no comment. Um, what are you up to in the world now? Yeah. About five please foot eight. Share. <laughs> and shrinking every day. Are you five foot eight? Yeah. <laughs> what if did I appear taller? You do. I'm she's five. short though. She's oh, I yeah, that's true. I'm five one. My yeah. wife is five two, so yeah, I'm tall by comparison. Giant. I, 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 I'm, I'm of the belief that this country is ready to embrace healthcare reform at the ballot level, and we've not been ready for that for a long time. And it, it's almost irrespective of who's in the White House, because there's so much sentiment and so much anger and so much hostility and so many incredible stories that can be told at that national level, at that, that TV show level, you know, at that radio level, <clears throat> where if you know exactly where to point the arrows, you can get things done. Mm-hmm. Well, I think your podcasts do a really good job of informing the public of the things that, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but you've got how many podcasts on your network that all speak to some form of, you know, a health condition, MS, whatever it is. And I think that's so helpful to share with people because they just don't know. Well, Off Script Health, which is my new venture. Um, What's it called? Is off Script. There's no oh. T just because I like to mess with people's brains. Off Script. The, is that off. the fuckery again? It's intentional fuckery, yes. <laughs> Uh, we are the country's largest content provider for healthcare in the form of podcasts. That's amazing. And <clears throat> we have had over 2,000 shows across 27. Uh, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. We've had over, we have 27 shows and series and documentaries under our, under our, our, our catalog. We've reached over two and a half million listeners. Um, we've had about a hundred thousand downloads a month across the shows and we have in our network, the number one multiple sclerosis podcast, the number one mm-hmm. endometriosis podcast. We're building a, 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 a metastatic breast cancer narrative, um, which is another story of fuckery. Most of these women die because insurance won't cover their medications because you don't make them money. And, uh, that's going to change because that's not acceptable. So our mission is to be literally the voice of the angry patient and to build federal protections and influence people to vote like crooked media does for politics. We're doing for healthcare. Yay. Can I like, I just want to jump out of my chair. No, that, <laughs> <I'm excited>. that, <laughs> that what you just said, there, inspiring. The, the voice of the angry patient, patient, the inside voice out loud. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like somebody's it's like some, it's like, I mean, finally, other topic, but same thing. I feel like we do that for, there's so many nurses who are floundering and I know like they're working in the hospitals. Is anybody doing anything to change this? You know? And I know that a lot of nurses who listen to our podcast and some of the the guests that we have on that have, I mean, like innovators who are like just thinking outside the box and like outside influencing the, you know, white blood, other white blood cells to change the the medical system, the way things are. I know it's like for nurses, it's like, Oh, thank God that someone's doing something and, and you're doing the same for, for patients, you know, not just for cancer patients, because that's, you know, that might be the, a bit of the focus, but the tentacles go everywhere. 
Well, cancer is kind of like the top of the circus tent. Everything yeah. trickles down it from there. Dips no down. one wants to live with MS, right? But it's the same thing. There's new medications. They don't treat you like people. They have stupid ads with bathtubs on mountains that make no sense. I just saw an ad for like lower your A1C. It was a barbecue. Like that's, that's bad. You didn't. You're making that up. That's pretty tone deaf to have a get lower cholesterol by having barbecue. <laughs> Who writes these ads? Oh my gosh, that's horrible. <laughs> it's unbelievable. How, but that's what I'm saying. Like they're making all they're spending $60 billion a year on these stupid TV ads that don't do anything, don't talk to people, have no conversion, help no script lift at all. And if anything, they, they, they're making the problem worse. So if I were to be able to chop one tree down and uh, commit some kind of ad homicide, it would be on all the bad pharma commercials. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're marketing pharmaceuticals that they can't even prescribe themselves mm-hmm. directly to consumers. Right. You know? Uh, like how many people go, hey, doctor, I saw this ad with a bathtub and barbecue sauce. Can I can I get that drug? Happens yeah. all the time. And then and then the incentivization for the doctors to prescribe those things, you right. know, get all that out. You know, no, people go into healthcare. Doctors <clears throat> become doctors. I mean, not everybody, but most the most nurses, most doctors, most people, you, you don't get in it for the fame. You no. know, and even your doctor, you, you know, you don't get you don't even go into being a doctor to get rich because you spend half of your career paying off for student loans for most of them and the insurance that they have to carry even after they retire. Um, they get in because it's a, uh, cause they're masochists <laughs> because we want to help people want to heal people. I mean, it's a, they're the burnout in healthcare for nurses and doctors and, and people. And it's, it's so bad right now. And it's not because of the short staffing. I mean, that might be a plea apart, but it's because the purpose and meaning has been taken out of it. There's a strike going on as we record this. You Minnesota. Know, right? In Minnesota. No, biggest one in history. Yeah. Dude, what? What's happening? Yeah. The biggest nursing strike in history in Minnesota. 15,000 some nurses walked out. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you live there as a person consumer and you're in that area and there are 15,000 nurses on strike like that's scary right what choice do they have what choice do they have they yeah but what if you're if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna get a heart attack and you got in the closest hospital is the one where all those nurses walked out that's scary right like Mm -hmm. it's just this is just it's like (laughs) but they're striking because of burnout right i mean i i'm really glad they are but i'm also like scared for the consumer yeah but i mean there's no good way to do this. There's not. You've taken, well, they're striking because of burnout. And the reason they have burnout is because the purpose and meaning has been taken away. You've taken every re- reason I became a nurse away from me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be at the bedside with patients. I wanted to help people, but no, I don't have the time. I have to do all this redundant charting and all this red tape and BS to take care of. And blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, no, good. I just, um, good. Good and good, not good. <laughs> well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna, I was just gonna pull the cork off of something. But it's like it's like a festering boil under the surface, and if I popped it, it just ooze all over for another hour, and we will just have to have a part two. I'll get the um, the uh, bacitracin. <laughs> I'll get the lance um, and the lidocaine. <laughs> oh my gosh.
so, so off script for for people who want to know more well you, they can stalk you uh, if they want to feel insecure like i said well, earlier again, but it's a, the in the theme of i've lived a very non-ordinary life if you just google matthew zachary i'm the first 13 pages of a google search i just <laughs> checked yesterday oh wow. and then become some author who writes porn novels um so that's not me. once <laughs> once you switch from cancer to porn novels that's a different matthew zachary yeah um Okay, good to good yeah. to just just in case anyone's wondering what <laughs> happened to Matt at page fourteen. <laughs> well, I mean, we said you had Matt. like five different lives. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so that's a secret life. <laughs> oh, oh, is that the book? <laughs> that's that's the book. I remember those books in the night Your where like years. Fabio, the bare-chested Fabio with the scarf in the wind, kind of that. that Matt, the other Matthew Zucker writes those books. Yeah, good. The other. Matthew yeah, Zachary. right, right. Quote unquote. <laughs> wink, wink, snicker, snicker. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I have a I have a website called the Naked Lady. <laughs> and, of course you do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a it's a blog, just funny writing. But a lot of my friends who want to read my articles, their 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 workplace. I'm like, I tried to go on the Naked Lady at work, and it was blocked. <laughs> it's N-S-F-W? not a 1950s porn site. It's yeah. like just writing. It's just yeah. you know articles anyway yeah all right well off script uh so matthew zachary all over google but then i mean in addition you're kind of i mean you're a a much more experienced and advanced version than what we're doing (laughs) yeah like off script has all kinds of all kinds of um good health information for lay people for nurses and you know i I can't stop it from coming out would really like to apply continuing education credit to your (laughs) things too. That's another, I mean, that's all of the rabbit hole of incentivized (laughs) audio and we're going to work on that together at some point, (laughs) but you know, uh, people listen because of the personalities of the hosts. Yeah. Yeah. It's how you sound first, who you are second, what you say third. I, yeah. And we, we get to say well, I'm going to say fuckery a lot more on this one. <laughs> yeah. talking to you, Matthew. Really? I, it's how you sound I, first and then who you are? Yeah. And then what you say? Yeah, because there's no visuals. I mean, there's visuals technically, but radio yeah. is how you sound and then who you are. And then what huh. you say. What you say is the least important part. Because I could, I, could, I could talk about toilets and shit for an hour and people will listen to me. Yeah. yeah, I won't. I often do. I <laughs> we right, do folks. also regularly. New I, actually, today. I've proven that. <laughs> Let's discuss the many shapes of diarrhea. <gasps> we oh, like that conversation. My these, are, these are good. These are good conversations. Hunter yeah. and I spent a hard, like our whole first podcast, talking about the strangest things she saw a surgeon pull out of somebody. I, I was going to say, like, like on today's show, we're going to talk about the weirdest things doctors have pulled out of people. Yeah, or just have shot out of them. <laughs> Sometimes you, you don't, don't, you don't have, have to, to do you don't have to do much fully when there's an anesthetic on board. Yeah, yeah so exactly. that's where that dreidel went. Just <laughs> holiday version of shit of shit that shoots out of your anus. Yes, <laughs> but that's my whole point. People love. How'd your you show get the whole because, menorah up there? <laughs> no, it's the chemistry. It's the entertainment. It's the personality. <laughs> then they know who you are. I love these girls. And then, boom! What you say is even just gravy on top of that because it matters. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's true. 
I do. So, okay. I want to just really quickly before we wrap this up, um, I know that the stuff is this, the next five years is still kind of percolating and you're thinking about what this is going to look like, but from a consumer advocate, advocate's perspective, what can nurses do to help their patients? Honestly, it's like you are the punch up. You get the chance to not just triage them and help them get through all the shit. But the idea that you can encourage them to think like a consumer, like a customer, Ooh. what would you do if this were Home Depot? Good takeaway. You would demand to see the manager. You are the CEO of Save My Ass Incorporated. Your doctor is an employee. The hospital is a is your employer. Is your employee. Treat your employees like you would treat anyone else. If they fuck up, you fire them. If you're not happy, you talk back to them. It, it, it's like, like I said, like chutzpah isn't congenital. You either have it, you don't, or you figure out whether it's inside you all along. But you can't depend on it. But if you start to think about it as if you're, you know, getting gas and the pump is broken, fuck, gotta go to this pump now. First real problem. But that you, everyone will react in a way that they buy something and it's not right. That same idea can be applied to patients and caregivers. If there's one small thing that every nurse can do that isn't clinical, remind patients that they are consumers. And if they're not happy, they complain. Thank you. It's so empowering and it's so true. It's so true. It, it totally, for patients, I mean, just today I told you about a client. It was so empowering for her to hear me say, you can demand the standard of care, mm -hmm. but also for nurses to share that with their patients, I think is yeah. awesome. Right. It, it solves for the variable of, do you have chutzpah? You know, think <laughs> your furniture came broken. What would you do? There you go. If you don't, and if you can't find your chutzpah, find a surrogate. Chutzpah. <laughs> that better be the name of this episode. I think it might have to be spa. I don't know. How do you, how do you write this onomatopoeia? How do you write? <laughs> it's basically C H U T Z S. All right. But who, who does better? I but think it's uh, is not really a printable <laughs> sound. <laughs> uh, Matthew Zachary, you better come see me when you come back to LA. Make sure you get, you make sure you get sleep before. And in the meantime, I hope I see you. It's this flat version of you, but well, yeah, and then <laughs> maybe give us a couple of days soon. a heads up so that I can come out there too, because I would love to meet you in person. Yeah, no, I will be coming out more and more, um, probably Friday to Sundays every now and then. And yes, I, I was planning on seeing you, but my whole weekend got shot. Know, shit. Just, just blame I'm the just, book and blame. I know, I know, I'm just it's all good. It'll be nice to see you either way, flat or in three dimensions. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for your lovely voice. Yeah. Bye. 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 Renegades.